Golden Spiral Media presents Dark Matter, a fan podcast dedicated to Extant on CBS. Each week, Mike and Dave explore the mysteries, characters, and drama that unfold on Extant, and they want to hear from you too. Send in your thoughts by calling 304-837-2278 or visiting goldenspiralmedia.com slash feedback. Now, here are your hosts, Mike and Dave. Hello, we're glad you could join us for this installment of Dark Matter, an extant podcast. My name is Mike. And I'm Dave, and this is show number five, where we'll be talking about season one, episode five of the CBS summer event series, Extant. This episode's entitled, What on Earth is Wrong? And it aired August 6th, 2014, and there was a lot wrong. Yeah, I like that was a line from Sam that snuck out while she was talking to John and Molly. But this installment was written by Peter Ako and was directed by In Plain Sight alum, Dan Lerner. And we got a lot of information in this one. And what was interesting, Dave, is that during the live tweet, get a lot of information during those live tweets, even though it's hard to sift through it all. Mickey Fisher said that they constructed this season as a big three-act arc. And in his tweet, he said, Tonight's episode ends Act 1 and sends Molly and company on a new path next week. So that's a kind of a cool way to conceive of it. This was the end of Act 1, and we have two more acts to go. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know me, Mr. Uh, spoiler Free. I, I mean, I think that's great information to have. And, and I don't think it spoils anything at all. In fact, I think it adds to it a lot. And it's interesting to see how a writer, in, in this case, creator, constructs, you know, a 13-episode season. Right, which we'll, we'll talk about also in a second. But before we get into the strangeness of how many episodes there are, also during the live tweet, we heard from Josh Molina, who played Dr. Scott Beck in this episode. I think it's the only time we're going to see him, but he's a pretty well-known actor from Scandal and a lot of Aaron Sorkin projects like West Wing and Sports Night. And he actually joined in. He just had a bunch of just funny tweets because he's a funny guy in uh, a lot of those shows. And his fun fact of the night was that Visniich, which is the actor that plays John Wood's last name, is Croatian for cherry, and Molina, his last name, is Polish for raspberry. When Goran and I are on screen, it's basically fruit salad. And that Uh was just a taste of the different humorous things that he was tossing out there. And when we were checking with Twitter throughout the week, we had some interesting news about the schedule. You heard about this, Dave? I have, and I'm still not sure I understand it, because as I understand... It's supposed to be a 13-episode season, correct? That's what I thought. Okay, and if we're going one a week, I calculated the season would end, I believe, October 1st, falls on a Wednesday. Yeah, if it was one episode per week, right. But then the information that you're you're uh, talking about said that, well, we were going to end on the 24th, but now we're going to move it up a week to the 17th. Yeah, that's from Variety Magazine, and, and it already threw it off by saying it wasn't in October, so I thought, okay, two-hour season finale. Right. But then if they move it up to the 17th, then they've got to cram in another episode somehow. So whether they're doubling up, I guess we'll have to stay tuned and, and maybe there'll be some more information about that soon. 
Well, I don't want to word it like this, but you know, certainly shows have done this before. The one that uh, I was just podcasting with Wayne about, Birds of Prey, they ended up burning off the last four episodes two at a time. But that was after they already knew they were being canceled, right? That's right. That's right. So I don't know. I mean, the only thing I can see is that they're going to do, like you said, a two-hour finale, and then now it'll be a two-hour <laughs> penultimate episode, if you will. I guess. But it could be bad sign of things to come, or the way Variety put it was that they were trying to avoid the premiere week competition, which would be September 24th, the week of September 24th. Right. But, you know, I I look at it like, I don't want to say a win-win situation, but look, we know they're going to finish the season, and we know that the idea was it's a 13-episode standalone, just like we said with Under the Dome. So I'm fairly confident we're going to get a satisfying conclusion Obviously, it'll be something that could lead to a second season, but doesn't necessarily have to. Yeah, I would be happy if they at least gave us a wrap up, Um, but definitely hoping for more. Right. Now, the ratings have been trending down, but not terribly. So it was just under 6 million this time, 5.91, a 1.0 share. And I guess, unfortunately, since CBS is just blowing the competition away the last few years that, you know, if you compare it to other CBS shows, it it doesn't stack up that well, but you know, as a summer show and certainly as a summer sci-fi show, I I think they got to be pleased with those numbers. Yeah. And I don't know whether to go with the so-called experts out there who are already uh, saying that this is going to be ending for us. Uh, I certainly hope it's not the case, and even if they accuse us of being cockeyed optimists, so be it. (laughs) But let's go ahead and get into our Dark Matters episode discussion. All right, now, you know, I read uh, an online critic today who said he's not a big fan of dream sequences. Yeah, I don't think I am either. No, I think it was you that I was reading. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Um, And and so I I guess we have a drug-induced dream, but, you know, the way it was edited, I I think we're led to believe that these visions she's seeing, these dreams, if you will, are a result of her being on the operating table, right? Yeah, the anesthesia dreams, I believe. Right, right. So uh, she wakes up, goes down to make breakfast, and, you know, there are all sorts of distortions, you know, the, the, the toaster sounds, and then... The, the orange juice, it's almost swaying as if she's on a ship, which obviously we know that she is. Oh, right. <laughs> but the reality is, though, this ship is is pretty big and they're doing surgery. So <laughs> I, I don't know the, uh, you know, the mechanics of a ship. Well, I think what it boils down to is not so much the what's leaking through from reality into this dream, although I think there is a certain amount of that, but rather how realistic of a dream. This is how a dream would actually run. Everything from the hand of John Woods touching her pregnant belly, switching to Marcus. I mean, you know how people's identity switches in your dreams all the time. That's that's things that we can identify with dreams that we've had. Right. Absolutely. And, and you know, you mentioned Marcus and he enters the room. He's looking for his red duffel bag. And we get to see what we assume is the true picture of how he died, right, in, in the car accident. Right. He, she says something about... 
but you know how that drive is so dangerous in the rain and he and it's outside it's perfectly sunny he's like what are you talking about <laughs> right but then when we are in the car it's pouring raining and you know so we're not really sure but i think if it tells us anything is that she harbors at least a semblance of guilt over his death and we're not really sure why yeah whether or not she let him go out and not use the autopilot or or something to that effect where maybe she just felt like she should have insisted on on it a little bit more but yeah anybody's going to feel feelings of guilt in that situation right when the reality is she probably is yeah didn't do anything that any anybody would do so uh so we see that and then of course we've got the the dream within the dream in bed and we've got Ethan. And then of course we're not sure because, you know, last we saw Ethan, he was powered down, but uh, he's talking about the baby needing her and there's the crying baby. He tells her he kept her secret. And I mean, we know we're in a dream state. Yeah. Well, it takes a second and that's, what's good about it is that you think, Oh, is this going to be one of those situations where she's back in her bed and it's like it never happened. And in a sense, that is how the episode plays out, just not in the way that's depicted in this dream within a dream. But I don't know that we should read too much into the Ethan part of it. The fact that he's keeping her secret and the baby needs her other than just things that she's thinking about. Right, exactly. Um, And I mean, one of the things that we've talked about is the speed at which this show is moving. And I know you and I agree that it's moving at a perfectly acceptable clip. Uh, I couldn't be more pleased. And we know there are some naysayers out there. That's one of the other things I said in that review you were mentioning, Yeah, is that I don't want to hear any more complaining (laughs) about the pace. (laughs) Right. Now, uh, I I do have a, uh, a slight complaint. We're at the next day, search and rescue teams out there, John and Quinn, are with the team and John happens to be the one that finds the two bodies. Yeah. It's daylight too. Right. But what's the likelihood? I mean, of all the (laughs) dozens of people that he's, but that's okay. That's fine. And, you know, he goes down there and rolls over Ethan. And of course the EMT says, you know, don't move him. And then of course he pops open his, uh, battery pack that and, is a little bit of a weird scene for me because well you can assume that knowledge of the humanics project is not widespread even though the the head of the search and rescue team last week knew about it or her, had heard things about it but he doesn't even bother to explain don't worry it's a robot right. <laughs> you know You're right and at that point you assume they can figure that much out they're still like you said it may not be common knowledge but you know i mean we are in the future so now but but Perhaps the most important thing that happens here is that the doctor can't find a fetal heartbeat on Molly. And, and of course, we know why that likely is. Yeah, because they've removed whatever's inside her. And it's interesting to note that it's only been, what did we say, 14 weeks-ish, something in that range. So I think later we'll find out that that doesn't seem to be a viable embryo if it were a normal human embryo. <laughs> yeah. But we get some surprises on that score later as well. Yeah. Now, uh, in terms of crackpot theories, and we mentioned a few last week from some of our listeners, you know, this next scene, my wife raised something that I won't say crackpot, but something I certainly didn't think about. And it's the scene with Jules and she's in bed with this guy having sex. And, and I like how you're, you're, you're very familiar calling her Jules. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, at the conclusion, he seems to be worried that they're going to like cuddle or, no. or you know, or no, have... he wants them to cuddle. <laughs> you, you think so? Well, he says, 
I guess we're not going to have breakfast. Uh, okay. You think he actually was happy about that? Yeah, I guess I saw it differently. <laughs> but but even that's you know not so much the important thing here. We see her in the shower, and we've kind of seen this scene in the credits, right? And not, I never really stopped to really figure out what it was. No. But we find out that she's got prosthetic legs. In fact, I thought during the opening credits that it was just something that was almost censoring out the exactly the private areas and that that was some kind of privacy thing for the shower like a privacy technology <laughs> right but here we get our answer yeah right so she attaches her legs now we assume what she she can't shower with them i guess so electronics because she had them on when she was in bed so then of course my wife's like well do you think she's a humanic well, that's so you know you're getting into the territory my mother. Oh, was that's why I brought it up. <laughs> well, and I started to feel that way too uh, on a, a couple of occasions this episode, and it really boils down to the fact that this is such a prototype that I can't imagine there was any precursor to it. There just happens to be related technology, and perhaps her prosthetic legs were some sort of inspiration for her to get into this profession. Right, right. So, you know, whether or not we find out any backstory regarding that, uh, I'm guessing we we probably will, but, you know. Well, the main thing that I think this scene helps us is not only to see this glimpse of a bit of a motivation for her character, but it also gives us a reason why she has not been involved in the search for Ethan, because she hasn't been keeping tabs on it. And certainly she accuses John later of not telling her about it. But Charlie has apparently been getting, trying to get a hold of her for quite some time and just has been leaving her messages about the fact that Ethan has been shut down at the core and that Molly's hurt as well. So she runs off to find out what's going on. Yeah, and we'll see a lot of that as we go through the episode because, you know, we, we learn a lot about her and there's a lot that, that I think I, for one, surmised about her and her relationship with John. And, you know, a lot of that comes into clearer focus tonight, but uh, we are at the medplex and John carries in Ethan's limp body, hands it off to Jules, who's been looking rather furtive until John shows up. And, you know, again, I'm not sure what to make of her. It seems like she's always in a state and that, that she's never happy or satisfied with the way things are transpiring. And this is certainly no different, but they're all making this assumption that Ethan shut himself down because of some catastrophe. Some kind of trauma right. from having fallen down the hill or something. Or or experienced something or whatever. And and I guess the, the thing that I don't understand is certainly John should know what ISEA and Yasumoto are capable of and what they have at their disposal. So why wouldn't that even occur to him? Yeah, that's true. He never questions the fact that Ethan shut himself down because of some catastrophe unrelated to what Molly right. is going through. Right. And, you know, what What does he think? That nobody's sophisticated enough to shut Ethan down on their own? Well, it didn't look too difficult. The guy popped his thing up, and, <laughs> you know, stuck an electric probe in there and shorted him out. But the fact that she thinks she's his mother, I think, comes really into focus in this episode. That That, you know, not that she has anything for John, but that she sees herself as the mother to John's father. 
And, you know, he has to set her in her place later on. Well, and there's a little bit of indication of both, but I understand what you're saying. We assumed that her feelings of motherhood were because of feelings for John, whereas she feels an attachment that perhaps is tied into the fact that she herself is part machine and, right. and feels a kinship to Ethan, uh, not just maternal, but also a, a real kinship in terms of being similar to him. Okay. But, but I think there is a little bit because she caresses his arm at one point. I think he almost at sometimes seems to realize that she's holding a torch for him and is just not letting it get anywhere. Maybe this has been going on for some time. Holding a torch for John, that is. It could still be just because of the way she touched him at one point. I'm coming farther into, into believing that it's mostly about Ethan, of course, but I do think there's still something to the theory that Julie wants to be the family that Molly and John have with Ethan. Okay, because Mr. Shipper here is going the other way. So, <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> uh, yeah, I know. Hard to believe. But uh, obviously the other central plot point in this episode revolves around Molly's pregnancy or the fact that now she's not. And, you know, she's so upset about whether or not she has lost the baby that the tech has to null her, which I thought was an interesting uh piece of tech yeah i think she says that later when she wakes up did they nuller me or something like that (laughs) yeah right 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 but you know we find out that there's no evidence that she's ever been pregnant yeah pretty amazing i i think we probably could say oh yeah of course we see where this is headed they're going to be setting her up to have made up the whole story but it's all so believable yeah and even john i think brings up the point that even though he's skeptical of it all and that she would have had to have a complete blood transfusion for there to be no pregnancy hormones in her blood. Well, maybe that's what they did. (laughs) Gave her a complete blood transfusion. Well, right. And she even points out that, you know, they've got a lot at their disposal, but on the other hand, you know, it's easy to, I guess, look at John and, and feel like he should be taking that leap of faith, as she mentions later in the episode, to believe her. Everything that he sees, everything that he knows, you know, flies in the face of logic. So it's certainly understandable that he has to feel that, you know, not that she's lying, but that she's exhibiting mental issues. But on the other hand, we do see Dr. Beck bring up an image, a scan image of a healthy uterus with no evidence she was ever pregnant. And he suggests to John later that Molly lied about it and that this whole thing should be looked at as a psychological problem rather than a physiological one. But perhaps Dr. Beck is on the take. Maybe there is still hormones in her blood and maybe Dr. Beck is just in on it the way that Sam is in on it. Okay. Yeah. Because I think sometimes we, we give John too much credit. I mean, he's a Gosh, what is a, a bionic scientist? I'm not sure exactly what the term would be, but but clearly he's he's probably not used to reading, you know, these sorts of scans, these sorts of medical tests. So I think sometimes we assume that he would be able to know that he's say being duped or being shown something that, you know, is real and truthful and all that. Yeah. So she's talking to her dad on the video screen. You know, and, and, you know, Molly asks him about the DNA tests and we assume, well, I think we know Sparks got the result and we assume that Sparks then had the wherewithal to then hit 
cancel or whatever or off. <laughs> have so the machine show up with an error. Right. So that by the time Quinn saw it, you know, it did report error and he shut the machine down. Uh, tells her that, though. Quinn, and the fact that Quinn was even able to read it was very nice as well. But I like also that her dad is thinking about Ethan and still thinks that Ethan actually ran from him instead of was taken from him. Right. And feels guilty about that. So uh, sets him up to be able to help them uh, with their further investigation later on. Yeah. And I think the interesting thing is that when you look at this from a broad perspective, I mean, what John envisions one day is that humanics take their place beside humans Mm -hmm. and that, that we perceive them the same way we would any other human and that's what we're seeing out of the grandfather, which to me, learning what we learn about him seems kind of unexpected, but it does seem genuine. And then certainly Molly started out, I thought, a little bit cold, but really as things have gotten you know, more complicated, that she seems to be drawn closer to Ethan. Yeah, and we get that a lot in this episode. In fact, I'm glad you brought that up because it reminded me of something that I didn't mention earlier, which was when Julie was taking Ethan from John. She says something about him being cold. Yeah. And she cuts John off when he's explaining to her a very obvious technical explanation of why his warmers are not powered up or something. But she's still saying, I know, but it's weird because I feel like he's cold, like a dead body, you know? So, so a lot of them are able to suspend their disbelief of him not actually being truly alive because he's just so real. And there's a lot of that going on to the point where uh, a couple of times Molly makes a human comparison to some technical explanation. Uh, first, she John says, oh, he's Ethan's fine. They're going to be working on him to reboot him. Oh, you mean they're going to wake him up? <laughs> you know, making a human analogy to whatever Ethan is going through. Yeah, yeah. All right. So during the car ride home, Molly insists that ISEA is responsible and is covering it up. And, you know, maybe they did this just to take the baby, which obviously on the surface sounds pretty crazy. And John reminds her that, you know, they wouldn't have time to do all this, a blood transfusion. But, yeah, you know, maybe they would. (laughs) Yeah, I think maybe their technology would allow them to do that. But everything that Molly is saying does sound actually pretty crazy. And everything that she says, one after the other, the deeper she gets into this cover-up as they finally figure out, oh, wait, Sam still knows about it. We can go talk to her. It still just sounds completely like she's lost it, It, like she's basically reliving what Harmon Krieger must have gone through. Right, absolutely. And now, of course, as uh, Sparks points out, she's much stronger than Krieger was. But, uh, you know, it's hard to say. I mean, obviously, once we learn that his suicide wasn't really a suicide. (laughs) But uh, so, you know, Molly's in this this really manic state and they go to see Sam and we kind of knew Sam was going to pretend. But who knew she was this good of an actress? <laughs> yes. And, and I had no idea she'd go to this depth. I mean, when Molly writes out on the paper, are they listening? I was shocked that Sam did what she did, which said, is who listening? Because I guess she knows they are listening and that just, hey, reinforces, leave my brother alone. I'm playing ball. But uh, give her a wink or something. <laughs> I, I know. I, I just feel like Sam would have tried to get something across to Molly. Yeah, I guess. But I, I think that just speaks to how 
frightened she is of Sparks and Kern and, and Yasumoto. Well, the thing is, when all is said and done, Sam did a kick-ass job of pretending like it never happened and certainly convincing John that he might have to doubt what's really going on here. Right. But when they leave Sam's, I, I'm pretty certain John knows something's up. He he knows Sam is lying about something. And, and the fact that he knows she's lying just leads him to believe at least some of what Molly's telling him. But it also brings the first seeds of doubt in. And Molly knows what's going on and says, they better have a gun to your head yeah. because of the things that Sam is saying are pretty unforgivable. But I think John, when he later has his conflict with Molly about believing her, this is probably where that got planted. Yeah. Well, some really good scenes at the lab and Charlie, Charlie's Charlie. And I guess he <laughs> is so oblivious to human feelings and things. You know, this is not the time to joke, Charlie. Hey, but at the same time, I feel like Charlie is the only one who has a healthy attitude towards Android life. Yeah. And, and you could be right. But again, I guess I, I can't let go of the fact that what John's really end game is, which is th that there's no differentiation. You know, a sentient being is a sentient being. Well, so. Charlie thinks of it as a technical marvel. Oh, I understand. So yeah. he says, wow, uh, this thing only has class one terrors in his skin, but his neural net is freaking nuked. So he's, our, first of all, he's doubting that this is just a shutdown based on a fall down a hill. Right. So he's the first to think of that. But he also is admiring the fact that Julie put in this straight line terror system in his skin or something like yeah. that. Yeah. So so he just thinks of it as, as just a pretty amazing thing. And... Yeah, she's she's not in any mood to to j have him joking around, but I think mainly she's just angry about the fact that John put Ethan at such risk by taking him to the island without letting her know, you know. <laughs> uh yeah, which uh, I was wondering if he was going to respond to that, which he obviously did. But right before Charlie decides to try a reboot with Ethan, I really found it interesting what she says, which is and and I guess it could be a little thing, but say a prayer. Yeah. And these are scientists and, and not that there aren't scientists that believe in God and scientists, because obviously there are, but I mean, these people to a certain extent are playing God. That's true. And I just found it really compelling that she would say that, um, you know, in this world dominated by science and artificial life, you know? Yeah. Well, especially since that comes right on the heels of, Charlie saying, let's reboot this puppy. Hey, remember when we actually built a puppy and I said that? Yeah. <laughs> Which is my funny Charlie line of the episode here. <laughs> right. Now, one of the reasons I do not like to watch previews is because you get an unrealistic expectation of what's going to happen in the episode. So obviously what we saw in the previews was, you know, Ethan, who are you? Who are you? <laughs> yeah. And Okay, I mean, that happened, but that certainly wasn't the way things ended up in the episode. No, that, that's not what we thought. They try to mislead us into what context those little scenes have. Right, right. <laughs> but, but we do find out that he's trying to rebuild his systems from scratch. And when I believe it's John that says his complexity has outpaced yeah. their ability to repair him. And, and it took me back to that opening scene 
when he's trying to make his case with the Yasumoto board members and doesn't understand their fear. And, and you know, you're, you're pretty much saying right here that he's outpaced your ability to repair him. So Skynet is repairing itself. <laughs> right. What What's next? And, and to not be able to understand that as a uh, problem down the road seems pretty short-sighted. Yeah, and even Julie says something about it. It's not as simple as reloading a backup, because remember how last week we said, well, maybe that's how they'll repair them. They'll just reload a backup. <laughs> but yeah. it's not that simple, according to this. And and it's all up to him. There's a potential that the self-repair process could actually have some damage to the memory centers and the cognitive centers. So he might actually not even wake up as the same person that he went into the coma. And th and I say coma because here's another example of where Molly draws a human analogy to give us a context of what's going on for Ethan. So she's really feeling his humanity, so to speak, by calling his situation a coma. Yeah, and then John just reinforces it when he says he wants somebody with Ethan 24-7. Uh, even though Charlie points out, well, he's not going to know we're here. Yeah, see, this is what I'm saying. Charlie gets it. He Yeah. <laughs> he understands that... Uh, he's basically keeping a level head. He enjoys Ethan as a okay. as a project, a fellow, well, but also a fellow being. But he also understands that he's a machine, even though it's sentient and has feelings and all that. Doesn't mean he's not different from humans. Well, that's true. Okay, now we <laughs> talked about Molly's potential guilt with Marcus's death, and I, I mean, I think we certainly understood that she is being lured out of the house, right? And, and well, uh, she, she figures that out too, I guess. Or, uh, that's right. And, and now she feels guilty about that. But obviously the reality is how could she have known? Yeah, really? exactly. And as things start to unfold, as more and more information becomes questionable, I guess. <laughs> right, right. I think he's starting to, you know, see that, okay, you know, maybe she is telling the truth, but you know, even that, that one scene where, he says, well, yeah, but if it doesn't turn out to be true, then that means you're crazy. And she says, like, nothing would make me happier yeah. well, than I, to I, be crazy. I do like the writing in these dialogues between yeah. John, John and Molly, because it does unfold. John says things that would be logical in that situation that, listen, it's not important if I believe you. If It's just important that if I'm not sure that it happened, then I guarantee you the rest of the world will be certain that it didn't happen. Right. And that's totally true, even though... Molly hones in on the first part of that phrase, which is, wait, it is important if you believe me, you're my husband. And that's true, too. So it's clear that John has doubts and he's trying to be diplomatic about sharing them with her. But she just wants him to believe her. And who can blame her for wanting that? Yeah. Yeah. So he, he does come around. And I think the way they make up uh, not long after that is believable and helpful because we realize okay john and molly are going to be the team here and in fact i think molly even says we can't trust anyone when she when she decides that she's going to go into work and just act like she's bought the story that they're not even going to trust sam no one and john says well we just have each other we're the ones that we can trust and i'm wondering is that really true can we trust john now well i think we can and i think that kind of speaks to something that we've talked about here and there is that they don't seem to have a whole lot of chemistry between them. Yeah. And, and, and 
to me, there's several reasons why that might be. I mean, we've got a couple of scientists. Maybe they're just not very passionate. Uh, maybe it has something to do with the fact that he knows that Marcus was the love of her life, and and right, you know, the, you know. So it could be any of that. But I I think this situation now that they both do perceive Ethan to really be their child. I had my doubts about Molly for a long time, but I'm I'm starting to come over to that way of thinking. And when they said that, you know, we ha- only have each other to trust, I really believe them. So no, I don't I don't think John's going to betray her. I, I think it, it, the two of them are going to be, you know, out on that island by themselves. Right. And and of course, they need each other because everyone else is kind of screwed up and <laughs> including people who have nothing to do with the conspiracy. Because the next scene is with Julie. And again, another one of these analogies that Julie makes where she starts out by saying his programming architecture is resilient. But then she modifies the phrase to say he's strong like you would for a human and even says he gets it from us. And this is this is when she's caressing his arm. Right. And John says, um, he gets it from Molly, too. <laughs> it's like his little cover up phrase. Right. And, and I don't think he's interested in her, to be quite honest. But, no, I just uh, wonder if she is interested in him. Yeah, yeah. I know. <laughs> um, well, anyway, then we've got that scene, you know, the who are you? Who are you? You know, the, <laughs> and, and then uh, she shuts him down. And that's why they have the argument that which I guess they are bound to have in a situation like that. Well, and I was wondering when he was going to come around to this that, dude. You work for me. <laughs> That's right. We are not partners. Which we had a question about. I did wonder if they were partners in the Humanix project, but apparently not. She, he's yeah. the boss. Yeah. I mean, I guess I really never had any doubt about that. But Well, she really does seem to think that he should have told her that he was taking Ethan off to the island. And he, I, I don't need permission to have him go visit his grandfather. And... On the one hand, you feel sorry for her. She says, we built him together. And of course, she's going to have attachment from that standpoint. This is the very first Humanic. Now they're working on another one. Their their project is growing. And she's passionate about her work, perhaps a little bit too passionate <laughs> and, and getting uh, emotionally attached. But at the same time, because she's over the top, we don't have complete sympathy for her. But it doesn't mean we don't feel for her a little bit. Yeah, I guess so. All right. Well, um, another one of those scenes that, uh, you know, I'm not going to nitpick it too much, but, you know, John and Molly go to the Medplex because, you know, when she has that revelation about being bitten by the dog, I wasn't sure where she was going. And then I really liked the way they just sped it up. You know, the, the they cut to the scene. She's back on the island she gets the rag no i think uh quinn came to the mainland there because oh, i think oh. i feel like they would have followed molly oh okay over uh, right, right good point um and he gives her the towel and you're like ah right yeah this is blood before they took the baby right so that was a, a really cool thing because we thought at the time that the dog detail last week was kind of a throwaway detail just to give us the sense that animals know about the alienness of the baby. Right. But it tr- turned out it was a Chekhov's gun. Okay. <laughs> they brought it back in the later, in the later part of the storyline. All right. Now I think it was you that pointed out in your article that these are two people that cobbled together a DNA analyzer. <laughs> That's right. But no, they have to break into the lab of the doctor they just saw. 
To run the blood blood test. <laughs> to run the blood test. <laughs> God. Okay. All right. Whatever. It's ma- it makes for a more suspenseful storyline. But yeah, you're right. That's not very realistic. <laughs> right. And then John, which I did enjoy, was John is, was so out of his league uh, at, at trying to be personable, at trying to you know engage somebody in this conversation, trying to seem vulnerable. So awkward. Yes. And uh, <laughs> so so you know it was great. Well, even especially since the doctor actually suggests some home therapy for Molly, if as long as you don't mind a simulant. Yeah. Which, and, well, you know what I immediately thought of? Was, what did you uh, think of? Well, I thought of Kira Cameron's on on board uh, therapist. Oh, Continuum. Yeah. I was, yeah. I was thinking Replicant, oh, like okay. in Blade Runner. But <laughs> I just thought it was funny that John followed that up with saying... Um, I don't know if I trust that sort of thing because that's how people react to his humanics project. And he's just trying to be like regular Joe Schmo as a delay tactic. <laughs> right. Well, I know you couldn't see it. I mean, the only way I could see the results was to freeze frame and go frame by frame. And mm-hmm. I don't know if you did that or not. To see the words, you mean? Yes. What did it say? Well, so we see the DNA results. Subject 01, unidentified female, which we know is her. Uh-huh. And then subject 2, and it kept saying, you know, uh, I don't know, waiting for result, whatever. And then she got the result, but it just flashed so quickly you couldn't see it. But what it does say is non-human, origin unknown. Okay. I think I may have seen the non-human part, but not the second half, because, yeah, you're right. It was very fast. Okay. So now they realize John's not the father. Right. Big deal. Yeah. And he, you know, shed a little mini tear there for a second when she realizes, or when he realizes it. But she says, look, I believe the story. Yeah. She bought it. (laughs) Yeah. But now I guess we have verification of what we've suspected all along, that she was pregnant with a... hybrid right yeah now i don't know if they're going to leap to alien right away but certainly she's going to tie it to the experience she had on the seraphim with marcus and now now will no longer go with john's explanation that she's just having hallucinations clearly it's tied into that well if it's non-human then well but i think that's just the machine because the machine would spit that out if you put a dog's blood in there Oh, let's not go there. Okay. Um, well, well, just because it was, <laughs> I, know, a, I know it was a dog bite. <laughs> yeah. Well. Tr- oh, good point. But okay. But I don't think what I'm saying is that even oh, if even if you're crap. Fa- even no, because even if you're faced with the reality yeah. of an alien DNA such situation, because of course they did see that that graphic later of the non-human DNA with the funky little uh, <laughs> sea anemones attached to it or whatever it was, then you're still going to be in denial because you can't quite wrap your brain around the the idea that it was alien intelligence. Right, because they did seem rather calm about it. They but, did. <laughs> right, but, you know, I guess the thing is, the dog, It would, there was no dog's blood, but I guess you could argue that it was the dog's saliva. Right, that's what I was getting at. Yeah, okay. But, but obviously, because they saw the DNA strands, it's not a dog. So okay. they, we don't have to worry about that for too long. All right. So, yeah, don't worry. It's not going to be something that will lead them down the garden path or anything like that. All right. Well, both Molly and John agree that the only way they're going to, you know, get to the bottom of this is from the inside. And that means that she's got to work her way back onto the ISEA team. Now, what did you think of this? Was this a believable scenario she played out with Sparks? Yeah, I think it was. Um, You know, that, that she... 
knows exactly what he needs to hear. And, and he uses the word love, and I think he used it genuinely in relation to her so that I think they have had a long-standing father-daughter relationship, which was intensified after the loss of his own daughter. And I think she knows this is what he needs to hear. And you mentioned uh, about being a good actor, and, <laughs> and I think she certainly was a, was a good actress here. And what I didn't like, though, was once she gets him to agree, she goes into her office area and what's his name? Danny? Yeah, her office, her lackey of some kind. Okay. Um, <laughs> her lab assistant. But the whole radio turned up. Yeah, well, see, that's what I'm saying. Not only was the conversation that she had with Sparks earlier kind of not believable, but you're right, the scenario with the loud music, it would not have worked. Neither one of those two things would have worked if it hadn't have been Sparks. Right. Because and of that obvious bond he has for Molly, he's not playing his game as tightly as he normally would. Right. Now, he does have the two suits walk down the hall real quickly, and then I think there was a female that walked by. And you know, so yeah. clearly, as he said, we're going to keep a close eye on you. Yeah, but they're doing stuff that would be normal if she were going back to work. They would obviously follow up with the experiments on board the Seraphim dealing with the worms. And I knew it. Didn't I'm going to have to find that audio where I said that the worms dying was not just a throwaway detail, but it actually was relevant to the story. Yeah. And, and we find out how so, and, and, uh, oh man, that was just so cool. Right. So, uh, she tells him at what point to go back in the footage and then calls it up and says he doesn't see anything, but then he ran a filter and then he ran his algorithm, the Danny five, <laughs> and he sees these waves, what he calls waves of interlaced energy fields that oscillate so fast, no single frequency shows up. Oh, I have no clue what he's talking about. But, he had a techno babble. <laughs> yeah. But regardless, it's an explanation for what it is she saw when she thought she was seeing Marcus. Well, and she doesn't get to that right away, right? No, no. She sees that, oh, this is what, what caused the worms to die. That's pretty cool. Although I say that, and now that I'm thinking about it, as I'm saying it out loud, I realize she did put the music up to cover up what they were talking about. Right. So perhaps she did have some suspicions about trying to find something that she could sink her uh, teeth into. But she doesn't make the realization until, in, until she has her interaction with Ethan later. Right. And I guess on the one hand, had she had it in the lab and gotten Danny to, you know, download his algorithm onto her iPad. There's every chance that they'd search her iPad when she left the building, for all she knows. So I think it worked out perfectly. Yeah, and I don't know if that was strategic on her part, or like I said, I think because she remembered her dream later on when she went to get Ethan a glass of orange juice, that's when she said, oh, she's putting two and two together. Right. So, uh, all right, so, so Ethan reboots himself. We cut back to that, and we're waiting with bated breath to what his reaction is going to be, and his first word is mom. Yep, and yeah. it's a touching moment, too, and I think this is probably going to be the end, and it's probably been gone for a while, of Molly feeling like he's not feeling real love as she was in episode one. Yeah. Oh, I thought you were going to say touching scene in that uh, Jules is now... 
kind of crushed. <laughs> you, why do you call her Jules? <laughs> well, that's what that's what the, the only uh, person that calls her that is Charlie, I think. Oh, okay. But that's okay. Well, You're buds. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I don't like either of them. But yeah, you're right. Julie looking away. She's far away across the room and she turns away. And, and this is going to come into play in my prediction later on. So just want to emphasize that. I really thought that was where she was feeling her most pain. No, I agree. Absolutely. All right. Now, in a replay of the opening scene, we see Molly getting Ethan orange juice. And everybody had to notice that the refrigerator now says Ethan is awesome as opposed to Earth is awesome. Yeah, the magnets on there. And that, that was weird because Earth is awesome was in her dream. Right. So it was a strange detail. I think it is probably just a fun little thing for us to see. Do you think it has symbolic meaning? I'm, I was trying to decipher it. Yeah, probably, uh, you know, Mickey Fisher and the writers that, uh, yeah, they'll spend hours trying to figure that one out. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> because the thing is, she sees that it says Ethan is awesome when she's opening their fridge and thinks, oh, somebody changed it. She kind of smiles because obviously they have four letters in common. Right. right. So easy so, enough to switch around. <laughs> yep. All right. So we get to the final scene of the episode and we're at home. Molly has Danny send her that algorithm and she's already got the footage from the seraphim on her iPad. Actually, she's got it hidden behind. Yeah. She's got it behind a book on the shelf and this is symbolic, I think. Okay. <laughs> hidden behind the Darwin's on the origin of species, which is of course the famous treatise on evolution. And when you're talking about the meaning of life, whether artificial or alien or even human, got to go to the source darwin but uh yeah i like i said i think the getting the orange juice out of the fridge and remembering her dream sequence because they even flashed back to the marcus situation again and that's when she realizes she can put the algorithm together with the footage that she has of her experience in space yeah and like we said then there's that clear energy field that, that i think you can sort of see a you know, I'll call it a human shape, you know. Uh, Arms, head. legs, definitely. But it does seem to be kind of wrapping itself around her. So either way. Now, you mentioned we, we don't see Sparks very much. He, We see him asking the worker at this, uh, we assume it's a, a either ISEA, Yasumoto lab combination, whatever, but asks the worker how it made the trip and he's assured that keeping it alive won't be an issue. Not only is it surviving, it's thriving. And, and of course, we know that's whatever they extracted from Molly. Right. And Sparks, throughout this whole thing, is just looking almost dejected. He even says when they are, I guess, pulling into that hangar bay, maybe they just got off the ship or something. Well, then we'll roll out, I guess. I mean, just his like, complete unwillingness to even get move forward on this because he's just feeling so bad, I think, yeah, about what ha happened with Molly. So I'm not sure how he feels about this thing that's thriving, but the fact that he keeps calling it it, what the hell is it, you know, right. is speaks highly of how Sparks feels about this thing. Right. And in that, in the show's final scene, you know, when he's told, well, it's a boy, now, are those like, was it three umbilical cords or? Yeah, there were three little tendrils coming off of the, the belly of the embryo. That was, yeah. that was strange. Maybe that had something to do with the 
artificial womb that they've got it in or something like that. Yeah, but uh, all right. So in terms of questions, is there no scar on Molly's stomach? Hey, Dave, we're dealing with high-precision lasers here. Okay, but all right. <laughs> Yeah, you're right. It's like no scarring, no no wound at all. I mean, we were talking about how fast it had to be to get a blood, tr- a full blood transfusion, but how fast does, does it have to be to True. <laughs> make an incision and have it not show a single mark? You're right. That's a good question. Yeah. Now, you know, we, we talked about whether or not there's any significance to us knowing that Julie's got artificial limbs. So, you know, we'll see. It gives depth to her obsession. Yes, yes. <laughs> but we still have no explanation for the circles, which did not show up in this episode. Uh, embryo is taken out. Will we still see circles on Molly? Will we st- still see her telekinetic powers? Or is the, all that gone now? And where will we see the circles again? Because I, I can only imagine we're going to see them in some form, if not on Molly's body anymore. Right. Now, whether or not Sam comes around and, and decides to say, you know, screw Sparks, I'm going to help my friend. <laughs> they made uh, me do it. Yeah, I, I still have my doubts. I think she's too terrified of of Sparks and, and probably by extension, Yasumoto. Uh, we, we don't really know how much uh, contact she has with him, but uh, I would certainly think his reputation gets around ISEA. So I, I'm going to say no, I don't think she will end up helping. Okay, and we want to wonder what Molly will do now that she's found out about this energy beings. And and I have to wonder if it's more knowledge than what Sparks and Yasumoto have. The fact that she has seen this Danny Five filtered version of what happened to her on the Seraphim. Do you think maybe this is more than Yasumoto and, and Sparks know? Uh, it might be. We've been talking about how Sparks has been in the dark. We're We're assuming that. I mean, that's not been proven, but the question that is carrying over from a previous episode even is what is Yasumoto going to do with this embryo? Is it tied into the meteor substance somehow? Is the yellow goo tied into the life that exists out there in space and is also tied into this energy life form that we see uh, here? Right. And what does it have to do with him prolonging his own life? Right. Or does it, is it more than just fixing what's wrong with him? Is it then more of an immortality ploy? Yeah. So, and then finally, long lasting effects of Ethan's outage uh, obviously remains to be seen. Uh, you know, I don't think we can be fooled by the fact that he recognizes his mother. But he does seem to not remember what happened. Right. So, so how long will that last? And will it also apply to other things that he's seen, including the circles, which only he and Sparks have seen, at least on screen. Yeah. So, all right. (laughs) Well, let's go and get into our predictions. Okay. And and let me go first. And uh, I'm going to just segue very nicely from uh, Ethan's outage that my prediction is he's lying. He does remember what happened to him. Okay. <laughs> and for whatever reason at this point, he's keeping quiet. Yeah, because you saw him doing his thinking during the ring gambling incident. Yeah. And how he drew his own conclusions. So maybe he's doing that here too. Because secrets are okay, Mike. <laughs> That's right. If you are, what, what did he say? 
it's secrets are okay if you're trying to protect someone from something that they shouldn't be worried about. Yeah, yeah. So, something to that effect. Yeah. All right. So what do you got? All right. Well, like I said earlier, I have a prediction with regard to Julie because of the fact that she's feeling so hurt and it's just been building up episode by episode. But that final scene when Ethan wakes up and she's left off in the dark corners of the lab, she is going to somehow help the competition. Uh, She'll be turned against the Woods family. They're going to find out that Julie feels this way and somehow... Promises will be made to her, perhaps with regard to being the true mother to Ethan or something like that. If you help us, we'll we'll get you Ethan, something to that effect. So I think Julie is going to be turned to the other side. Okay. Yeah, I like that. It's kind of like Sam, except instead of coercing her with something bad, they're going to be tempting her with something good. All right. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, how about a little dark matter chatter? One of our regular contributors who likes to theorize quite a bit and make predictions is Christopher. Christopher says, It was a brilliant stroke that Molly thought of the bloody rag from the dog bite. I didn't see that coming at all when all other evidence seemed to be lost. Even so, it took this proof for John to finally embrace her. He couldn't believe in her without it. Seeing the final sequence of the energy slash spores filter over the station footage sealed it. He had the proof he needed to be in her corner. He's come this far, but will a faith in her develop later when she needs it and he has no proof to convince him? I think we might find out at some point. Also, a small note regarding Molly and John and their feelings towards Ethan. When Molly saw Ethan on the table, it was the first time I think she seriously showed a motherly connection for him. Yeah, and I guess, Dave, we agreed with Christopher on that score this week, too. Yeah. And the prospect of losing him hit her emotionally. His presence regardless that he's an android, would have been felt as a loss. Hallie played that brilliantly. It was subtle, but you could see the effect. Ethan is connecting with her heart, and it doesn't matter what species he is. What matters is that he is becoming family to her. I'm warming to the idea you proposed that Sparks is only a semi-complicit figure in the conspiracy. He may yet prove to be helpful to Molly when the chips are down, but I'm not sold on that yet. If he chose her based on Marcus's death... That says he may never really have been in her corner. What kind of friend would subject her to all that she's going through? Not a great one. So yeah, Sparks, I guess, uh, could be still turned to his friendly uh, intentions, but I guess that remains to be seen. But Christopher has a prediction. He says, The confrontation between Julie and John spoke loud and clear that she is feeling pushed aside. Her motherly attachment to Ethan is being ground to dust by John. His dress down highlighted this and shook her to the core. She spent all this time nurturing Ethan, and she feels very much like she is or should be his mother. The metaphor of her looking through the glass was not lost on me. (laughs) I'm getting worried he's going to make the same prediction. She feels very much on the outside looking in right now. My prediction is that she will at some point betray Molly, John, and Ethan to Sparks or even Yasumoto. Christopher, I swear to God, I did not read this (laughs) before making my prediction. That's funny that we both thought of the same thing. He says, I don't know in what way, but they spent a long time setting up her emotional response and there will be a payoff to that divide they established between her and the Woods family. Yes, Christopher, we are simpatico. (laughs) I see an explosion in her future. That's so, (laughs) 
<laughs> That's so funny though, because I usually do read these ahead of time, but I didn't have time this week. <laughs> I kind of threw them in. And plus, I think all of these dark matter chatter contribute contributors gave these emails to us today as we're recording this. Yep. So, all right. Now, Leah says, I just want to say that Extant is an amazing show, starting from the cast all the way up to the fact that there's an alien pregnancy involved. I've never missed an episode so far, and I don't plan to miss one. I tell my friends and family members that on Wednesday at 10 p.m., do not talk to me, text me, <laughs> call me, nothing, because Extant is on. I hope there will be a season two because this show is remarkable. I give props to Steven Spielberg, Mickey Fisher, and Halle Berry. Oh, and by the way, can't wait till next Wednesday, episode <laughs> six, Nightmare. This is my favorite show. Uh, yeah, I agree with all of that. And I don't want to say I had my doubts about Halle Berry in this kind of a role, but I, I, I had a few, but I mean, right from the start, she's been awesome. That's funny because there's so many people out there that really either love her or hate her. I'm not sure why there's such a huge divide. No, well, I, not I much of a gray area. I certainly don't hate her. I mean, <laughs> and didn't come into this that way, but I just, you know, it's a sci-fi show. I've got high expectations and, you know, even though she's got, you know, some background in sci-fi, obviously, as we talked about in week one. Uh, it's almost like you don't want Hollywood messing with <laughs> yeah maybe that's with it. our sci-fi properties okay uh sci writer dave and i'm so glad to hear from dave he uh was a regular contributor on our continuum podcast towards the end of season three he says there is one thing i would like to address with your comments about john and his feelings on ethan i think everyone is missing something huge here john's view on what it is to be human i'm going to hazard a guess that john is an atheist not that it is of major importance but he is also a scientist it's my guess that this future is within 50 years from now, and in this future, the human brain has been completely mapped and simulated. This isn't so far-fetched, since some neuroscientists and computer scientists studying the human brain believe that we will be able to completely simulate the human brain on a computer in the next 10 years. This means that John probably believes that everything about being human can be explained by the inner workings of the human brain. There's nothing mystical or spiritual about it, and not to offend anyone, that is what the science currently says. And it's interesting uh, Dave brings this up, because you were talking earlier about Julie's comment about say a, say prayer. a prayer, right? And it does seem to be with John making that speech uh, in episode one to Femi Dodd. Remember that? Yeah. That he is definitely not a religious guy. <laughs> so from John's perspective, if we can simulate everything about the human brain, that simulation is in fact human. That is how he sees Ethan. This makes it understandable when we look at John's reaction to many things. He sees people as ignorant. This isn't a matter of who's right or wrong, but many atheists believe religious people to be ignorant and are able to respect their beliefs. What John is not able to tolerate is that they are unable to see Ethan as human. John's reaction is a result of that. He sees Ethan as human and defends him as if he were his own flesh and blood. And when he punches the cop, it is something any parent would do if a cop said he wasn't risking his men in a dangerous situation. Ethan's presence is certainly a challenge, not just to viewers, but to the fictional society he lives in. As he grows, he and the others like him will become integrated into society and face the same pressures of growing up, as well as the biases and bigotry that humanity has to offer. It is not inconceivable that Ethan may one day date and marry a human girl or boy. Twitter fans often tweet of the rise of the machines and the doom of humanity. We should be careful that we aren't the monsters deserving of extermination. Ethan certainly makes us question what it means to be human. 
And I think this show does. And I think that's one of the brilliant aspects of it. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually hoping we'll get a broader scope of Ethan's struggle with a bigoted society. Yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, Gezus writes in that it looks like our alien is an energy being, or yep. at least it communicates with humans using this energy. However, there are things about this energy being that are a bit of a mystery for me. First, how did it contaminate and kill worms? It is energy, does not hold anything chemical or biological, or is it some kind of radiation? Yeah, why is it that it impregnated Molly, but it killed the worms? Are they just super frail? (laughs) Also, are the hallucinations a result of increased brain activity caused by this cosmic energy? My guess is that radiation of this energy causes a slight mutation in the brain or something like that. The problem is that we only see this energy approaching during Molly's impregnation. How does she see Marcus before that or after? And how the hell does energy impregnate Molly? Yeah. Uh, And we don't necessarily know that it does. Yeah. Well, there was a couple of discussions we've had last episode and, and a little bit in this one that Marcus is the being that's inside of her uh he's being shown as marcus to her but the the hallucination we're seeing is not the father of what's inside molly it is the thing that's inside molly wow all right now he says to my understanding molly's womb was injured during her miscarriage after the car accident i guess it can trick the brain and make her uterus heal itself and somehow made it start impregnation yeah who knows (laughs) but what can energy give to a baby It has no DNA, nothing biological at all. Lastly, does this energy living inside the fetus control its growth? Yeah. See, now, after I said all that earlier, it is a human fetus. (laughs) After all, it is a boy. I mean, it certainly appears. And and again, I mean, we've been down this road before in some sci-fi in that, you know, the idea of a human-alien hybrid, if that's in fact what this is, it very often appears to us to be human yeah yeah falling sky is a perfect example of that what's going on in that show now but yeah the uh all those questions that Gezus brought up it's great because those aren't listed in the questions that we asked earlier on in the episode so yeah they're all very good questions and no answers to be found at this time so uh glad Gezus posed them yeah but i guess that wraps it up for this edition of the dark matter extant podcast Keep up with show news and fan interaction on Twitter by following us at Dark Matter GSM, as well as other Golden Spiral Media podcasts. In fact, they just added one for The Flash coming up this fall. Uh, you can follow GSM Podcasts to find out more. And Mike and I will be back next week with our discussion of Episode 6 of Extant entitled Nightmares. In the meantime, head on over to goldenspiralmedia.com slash feedback to share your thoughts. You can write a message, record a comment using your computer's microphone, or call 304-837-2278. And if you've enjoyed this episode of Dark Matter, please consider rating and reviewing us on iTunes. And we'll talk to you next weekend.